name is Sean Ferris. I am the host, and I am joined, as I will forever be, by the Youngren twins, aka the Evolving Wild twins. Josh and Luke, how are you? Doing great, Sean. Thanks yeah, for having great. us. Thank you. Although this is our joint podcast, I suppose, so you know, it will always be here. Yeah, <laughs> never leaving. <laughs> No, for, never leaving. Yeah, for those never who are, are are unfamiliar, uh, we also run uh, the website evolving-hockey.com. Um, we have a Twitter account for that as well. But this is our inaugural show. We have a plan to continue at least weekly, I think. Uh, yeah, hopefully. There. So it, also to get get it out of the way, I guess up front, uh, two of the voices that you've currently been hearing are were twins. So we sound similar. Um, I guess you're just going to have to you know start to get to know the very small timbral differences between our voices over the over the next year or two while we do this and i guess people will maybe be able to start to identify our voices properly or, or something yeah I or guess. maybe you know sometime down the line we'll do a, a video call basically where we have a video youtube exclusive podcast that's you know big plans big plans well for the listeners they also look uh quite similar as well they're identical and um they uh people can't still can't tell them apart people in the hockey community that have seen them at multiple conferences still cannot tell uh luke and josh apart generally speaking you could tell by their hair i think maybe something also by their foreheads but uh that's beside the point maybe so just maybe to start it off if someone came across the this evolving hockey podcast this episode zero or one depending how you prefer to index like how did Evolving Hockey come to be? How did you get into hockey analytics? Who are you? And how did you get the site to the point it is now? I know that's about four questions right there. but Yeah, I mean, I think just I'll kind of give a very brief history and introduction to Evolving-Hockey.com, which was kind of started by us as more of a, a hobby um, project. Maybe well, we started working on um, in like the hockey statistics community or just working with data um probably around the um 2015-16 season so sometime um in the I guess it would have been late 2016 that we kind of really started getting interested I think it was probably spurred on by uh DTM about Hart's war model or uh he Dawson Spriggins you now works for the Colorado Avalanche and that was really kind of um we were big baseball fans and so I really thought that the war model he had made was really interesting and then from there it kind of just um, we, we had been hockey fans before that following like war on ice, which is an old website, um, and kind of learning about hockey statistics, but really started around then and, um, just working in Excel and whatnot and just downloading data from different sites. Corsica.hockey was a big website. Um, and basically things snowballed where we kind of taught ourselves, um, the R programming language and then developed a war model and we wanted a, a place to start hosting our data that wasn't Google Sheets because um, it's a pain to uh, constantly update Google with your new updates. And it's just a pain. So we are um, has a has a framework for web development called Shiny. And it's not too it's I mean, it's not terribly difficult if you are familiar with R. It's kind of a little bit to. Um, there's a little bit of a steep learning curve initially, but once you get the hang of it, um, it's kind of makes things easier. So we started evolving dash evolving hockey in I think it was like the fall of 2018, 
Um, yeah, that's and, right. And that was mostly just to have a place to host our war model and, and the data. And we also had the uh, our RAPM metrics um, or RAPM or regularized adjusted plus minus that we were hosting there at the time. And then um, as kind of interest grew in the site and people started using it more, we kept adding features. And then I think Manny Perry... Um, stopped running Corsica.hockey around sometime around there. And it kind of just, we had a lot of other metrics that we had developed that were not, were no longer available. So we kind of started adding those and just expanding the site. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> From the, this, the rest of this kind of history, we, we basically added a subscriber model um, at the we, um, beginning of 2020. Um, and then last starting at the beginning of 2021 we switched to a different subscriber platform and now we have a wordpress based site and we host articles and we have um, a goal of to have more articles hosted and also still all of the stats and models are still on the website as well and so why is it evolving dash hockey why do you still call it evolving dash hockey when we refer to it as evolving hockey so what's the story behind the url yeah so uh it well, it's a bit of a I, I think a uh, kind of a it's a little irritating, but also kind of like just something that's kind of goes with having websites. Is when we first started the website, we had you know our Twitter name for a while was evol- I mean it still is was evolving wild, and that was when we started. We were big wild fans if it if it wasn't clear, um, and uh, but our as our kind of our work grew and whatnot, we started working with more pretty much the entire NHL and all teams, and I think our interest in the wild kind of shifted more towards every team because we were working on league-wide metrics and everything. Um, and so when we made a website, it just seemed, I don't know, it's, I guess it's a pretty boring step from Evolving Wild to Evolving Hockey, but that seemed like an appropriate website name for when we did it. But the domain name, Evolving Hockey, one word, wasn't available. It was it was owned. And so um, I, some of you are, uh, all three of us are very familiar with this, but if, if uh, all three of us kind of came up through the Hockey Graphs blog, um, and that was... Uh, a big part of kind of our early work, I think all three of us too, just kind of the support of everyone there. And, and Hockey Graphs has a dash in their name as well. Um, and so we thought, well, whatever. I, back in 2018, we just wanted something that wasn't Google Sheets, and we were kind of first learning how to make a website. So we're like, whatever, we'll just put a dash in there. Um, but I think it's been a bit of a uh, point of kind of uh, confusion for a lot of people because we've tried to, uh, I did this year, try to acquire the evolvinghockey.com, no, no dash, uh, URL um, and I was unsuccessful. The whole I, we don't need to get into this. This is an entire other thing. But domain names and registrars is a big, huge. I mean, it's it's kind of starts to feel like adventures into kind of scam territory a lot of the time in terms of how it works. Um, but so whenever we say evolving dash hockey dot com, we are kind of in a way making it explicit that that's the URL, even though the company is evolving hockey, the website's evolving hockey, and we kind of always didn't want, we never wanted the dash there, but that's just <laughs> kind of what happened, and we haven't been able to get away from it because the original name is taken. So, um, hey, if anyone listening owns that domain and would like to have a conversation about potentially selling it, we would be very happy to speak with you. <laughs> yes, because it is, there is no website. Yeah. It is just parked. It's just parked. So There's no website, evolvinghockey.com. Yeah. If, if Mr. Or, Ms. or anyone who owns Evolving Hockey would like to somehow get in contact with us and found this because you own the domain and you found a podcast with that same domain name, like, you know. So, yeah, that's the answer to that. There's, I mean, it, it is what it is. 
would they get a uh, free subscription for life if yeah, they we, gave yes. you the URL? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We would be glad <laughs> to hand out a free subscription, help you get started in your work in hockey stats, hockey metrics, all that stuff, if if that's what you would like. So reach out to us if you, if you want. <laughs> so I think one of of the parts of the website that's most known I, w- I would make the argument that that's most known beyond the uh goals above replacement model on the website is the free agency model so you do contract projections we tweet them out all the time and it's that time of the year again so if one of you would give sort of like a brief description of how exactly the model works from a high level and how it's doing this year and sort of how it compares to years past. Obviously this year we have the second year of the flat cap and people are generally curious about how it's performing right now. Yeah. So um, we call it uh, kind of refer to as the contract projection model or that's, I I think a lot of people during free agency see it. Like you mentioned, Sean, um, the model itself has been around. Uh, we started doing contract projections just kind of for fun. I think it was about four or five years ago. Um, back then, there were a few other people who were doing them as well, and it was just something that was a good, um, pretty easy, hands-on example of how do you would get into some kind of modeling. You know, for anybody who's who's new to it, that was kind of one of our things we were looking for. It's like I need something that I know that I can work with, and um, that model we did originally was really simple. It. it it wasn't particularly great. Um, there were a lot of issues with it in terms of kind of, I don't know, structural aspects of it and whatnot, but it was a good starting place. And then um, we took a lot of inspiration from uh, now current Devils uh, employee, Matt Kane, former Hockey Graphs alum as well. Uh, and he built a, a, or came up with a really good system that separated term or contract length from cap it. And and that was a, I think, kind of an eye-opening idea for um, for us when we were looking at it, and we did a lot of testing with that, um, and that was something that we transitioned to. But to just give it a general idea about what it is, we, if anybody would l- like to get actual more detail about it, we have a couple articles and information on our glossary. Um, also, I did a fairly high-level um, overview of it in our most recent article on the website um, that was kind of a, a review of free agency so far. But the model is really more of kind of a system that's made up of two models. One model projects um, a given cap percentage actually but it's kind of the dollar value so we work with in this model it's it's we call it cap cap percentage or salary cap percentage so it's the percentage of a year like a a player's um, yearly cap hit divided by this nhl salary cap that year which keeps all contracts historically on the same um, level so that we can we don't have to bake in some kind of change in the cap or whatever it's because generally players are paid in line with the with how much salary cap is available for teams um, and then there's a second model that is a uh, contract length or term uh, model. And we combine those two together um, because specifically term or contract's length is very indicative of how much money that contract will be. Um, that's just been historically. Now, there's a lot of I kind of got into trouble a little bit when I misstated this on Twitter a month ago about how that relationship is set up, where as you add years, you also add money. Um, there's some confounding aspects with generally players who are even you know who are being considered for longer term contracts, um, they're in a, a much higher group in terms of how GMs view them. View them. So generally, a player who's a fourth liner or kind of a you know replacement level type player is not necessarily going to be in consideration for an eight year contract. Where you know somebody like obviously like you know Landis Cog or 
Nugent Hopkins. Those are the kind of players that are, are kind of in that realm. But um, that's kind of the overview. It, it, it takes prior uh, cap or contract data that we um, from cap friendly, which is an incredible. Obviously, I think most people who are probably listening right now are familiar with cap friendly, but it's an incredible website that is a great database for um, contracts. And uh, we use their historical data. The model is built on historical signing data along with some of the the metrics that are on our site um and we just it's just a model that projects kind of the likely contracts uh for all players in free agency and also i'll just jump in here and just to clarify i've seen some people so the contract projection model um some people it's not a what do we think this player is worth type of model um specifically it is our intention to try to predict what a player is actually going to be paid so that ends up looking like a market price for a player or our projected market price for a player so and we do not use um, any of our like advanced proprietary models like we don't use gar rapum our xgar model it's all um just pretty standard box score stats because those are just that's how players are paid and they have been paid historically so a lot of it has to do with how much a player has played um, so time and ice and then just point totals like that's really what GMs pay for like I mean obviously it's much more complicated than that but those are two of the most significant factors in predicting how much a player is going to be making yeah I and it's it's not that we don't want to use those more advanced I guess you could call them or proprietary or those kind of more um, I don't know what whatever the term would be for those that kind of upper echelon of wrap them or war or X, you know, expected war, that kind of stuff. It's just that those extreme machine learning <laughs> analytics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, more more so like kind of things that would fall into the kind of the machine learning bucket in terms of statistical work. Um, it's that they don't really actually do a very good job of projecting how much a player is going to be paid because. So that, like, what Luke said is, it's important to note that, like, the way that the value, the the model outputs a value that is based on what G, how GMs value their players, not necessarily right. how people would or other or have fans historically or, valued yeah historically historically yeah. valued we've we've talked about having making our like value wouldn't <laughs> i'm trying to think of the terminology for this but it would be like our value of what a player should make so like based on what our models show about these players how much would we ex- want to pay them right i mean us we as in if we were, if I was a GM, you know, if I'm thinking about how to like which players are the most valuable from a war or rapum or X war X gar standpoint, um, we've thought about trying to make a value. So say, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, talk with, but that that gets a lot into a different territory than projecting actually from a modeling predictive standpoint. So just a couple things to clarify. Yeah. Would you guys say, in some senses, it's kind of like an appraisal, like almost like appraising a house where it's sort of based on different things? And they're, you know, generally speaking, the sell price of a house is kind of based on, is going to be around the appraisal. You need the appraised value there. It's a different market, right? But I guess appraising an art piece or something like that, where you're sort of taking, you know, you have a three bedroom house, this many square feet, et cetera. You have somebody, that has this large database of houses of what they're worth. You sort of have um, sort of some cohorts around and you sort of say, here's kind of what it's worth. The buyer and seller can kind of figure it out from there because they're fairly accurate, but I mean, 
players kind of come in above and and below that. Yeah, I, I think say, that's say it's sort of fair. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to to put it. I, I think it's not really any different than probably how agents. I mean, I'm not going to act like I know too much about how the actual conversation goes between teams and agents and players because that's not something that we um, will really do. I mean, I, but that that is a good general idea is that we're taking the, the model itself is it's when we used to do comparable contracts as a feature in the model, like a, a couple of years ago. Um, I think there are some that, that incorporates some, I, I think some potentially problematic areas in terms of how the model handles that in conjunction with actual contract data, where if you, but I, I won't get into that now, but it's pretty similar to where the model is able to identify um, similar features that a player at a certain age and a position and um, uh, maybe their past year or two. Because the other thing to, to, to note is that contracts, it, it, I mean, it's it's not, the idea of a contract year is a, is a very much a real thing. The prior year before a contract is signed is, is from all, all of our research, and this is the way our model works as well, is by far the most indicative of any prior years among, you know, a player's history. Generally, for models like this, you look at, like, you can you can split it up however you want, but um, we generally look at, like, the prior three years, and then we'll let the model wait those prior three years, but... Um, and this is kind of a standard. I mean, this is age old, even going back 20 years to baseball with some of the simple, the early, you know, Marcel system with Tango and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, so so that prior year is really the kind of the driver of how a player is going to be played. And that's I, I, it's not it's not it's a real thing when you hear people say it's their contract year, I think probably because players are aware of that. GM's also kind of it's their most recent year, so I think it's probably the way that a that a player might play the the coming year or two is more likely what they were last year. Although that's not always the case, and that's really simplistic. So um, the only thing I will clarify is that for our system generally right now, we release we do projections basically ahead of the summer. So we we try to get them done while the season is. Um, just kind of wrapping up and playoffs are starting. And then generally for our, I think because it's simpler to keep them kind of static, we do one projection at a, at, and generally this is, I think this year was in early May. Um, and then that's just what they are for the summer. And so we're not like some people, I think, think that maybe every time a contract is signed, we're retraining the model or re-updating the model. Um, I think this comes into play when there was some confusion around how Seth Jones' contract maybe impacted Darnell Nurse's projection on our site. We actually didn't have Seth Jones' contract from this summer in the model at all. The model hadn't seen that contract. It still projected Nurse at like eight by eight point three or eight eight point four million, um, which we had. A, that was a big debate as well that we maybe shouldn't have gotten into because we've learned we haven't learned our lesson, I guess, with talking about Edmonton players and whatnot. Although this time wasn't about de- arguing with Edmonton fans; it was arguing with other people who were also talking about it. But um, that's another thing to note. So unlike housing where they look at very recent sales, I guess one thing would be within a free agency, we aren't updating the model as new contracts are coming out in free agency. We kind of do it all at one time, and then it, it we do it again. Um, maybe in the future we might have it update maybe daily or something now that we have a little um, more time and it's kind of, you know, it's evolved a little bit, but um, yeah. Evolved, yes. <laughs> Key word there. Yeah. So s- sticking with Edmonton here, Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. So, no, I'm just so how do you guys maybe view some of the bigger misses, right? We talked the other day uh, on the phone uh, offline, obviously, about golf. And golf is a game of misses and kind of how you handle misses. So, like, when you have R&H, for example, who we projected an eight-year term to sign, I believe it was roughly $8 million, and he signed for roughly $5 million at this eight-year term. 
Um, like, how do you sort of take that? How do you rationalize that? Is it just like a big L that the model takes? Um, or is there something to learn from it? Yeah, I think that, um, I, I, so another, I think something that's hard, I think, to maybe, uh, to, it's kind of a nuance is that in this kind of model, there's, there's a type of issue that, that happens where, um, there's kind of an imbalance in terms of the spread or distribution of the contracts that are get, get handed out, um, specifically in the term aspect. We call this, we would call this, because the term model is technically a categorical problem. So there are only eight potential outcomes or discrete outcomes that could happen for that type of situation. There, any player can only get a one through eight year contract. Um, but what happens is almost the vast majority of contracts that are signed are like between one to three years. Most of them are one and two year deals. Um, and so when you get up into those higher end uh, terms, um, there aren't as many historical comps or comparable. There's not as much data in that area. So mm-hmm. we've done a lot to deal with that. It's kind of a, a, a problem that would you are trying to deal with your um, I don't know, maybe calibration or heteroscedasticity, I believe is the term. Uh, but it's essentially a, uh, where your model is is biased in one direction or it's off in one direction because of an imbalance issue like that. That might be a case. And I think when it comes to the higher-end players, those are what people care about, right? People look at our top 10 projections. I mean, when we do this, too, we would send that out because it's it, that's what people care about. They don't care about the people who are signing one-year league minimum deals, um, but that's the majority of players are signing less than $2 million deals. I mean, that's every year. Um, and so I would say that it's a... When you have a player like RNH who misses, one thing is that we... And we incorporated this last year, and it's a new thing, is uh, is when a player signs is, is also impactful on what type of contract they'll get. So RNH signed b- ahead of free agency. So he technically signed before he was able to talk with... I mean, I mean who's to know if... You know, there's always the assumption that players are talking with teams, even though they're not supposed to be, or whatever that is. But um, when a player signs during free agency, they generally get paid more because they they have a, more leverage to say, you know, that there are other teams asking them. Um, in that case, I think one of the facts, even though our model considers this, is that RNH signed ahead of free agency, so he's kind of taking. A, a bit lower. We've looked at this, and, and like for instance, I, I looked at Saad's contract based on when he would have signed at varying points. So if he had, um, if he had signed with Colorado in the month, you know, or two prior to free agency, um, we would expect him to take about something like two hundred fifty thousand dollars less um, than uh, than like if he had signed during free agency. And so um, I, I think with RNH generally, when it's a miss like that, it's just something that we go. Yeah, that's a really high-end deal. It's a rare contract within the, within the the I, I think the you know the the entire data set, and so um, I think there are other uh, extenuating circumstances that we're not able to really capture there. Um, so I th- I think that's kind of it. It also it's it's the model isn't perfect. No model is ever going to be perfect, and so I, I think that that's something that we'll just kind of you know we hope that in the future the model is able to incorporate that potentially, and and we can get we can get there um, you know maybe a little bit better. Yep. So I think at this time we'll kick it to our sponsors, and we'll be back after this short break. The Evolving Hockey Podcast is brought to you by EvolvingHockey.com, your home for advanced NHL statistics on the web. When you become a subscriber to EvolvingHockey.com, you gain access to such evaluation tools as NHL Goals Above Replacement, 
regularized adjusted plus minus, skater contract projections, visualizations, charts, and much more. Visit evolving-hockey.com slash login today to become a subscriber. Welcome back to the Evolving Hockey Podcast. At this point, we're going to do some mailbag questions. So we asked actually uh, a few months ago, and then we asked again a couple of days ago for some mailbag questions, and we got some good questions. So Josh, how about you start us off here? Who is quantifiable, and I believe, who is quantifiably the most average NHL player? Uh, and that was from at ZachJ10 or Johnson, Zach on Twitter. Thank you for the question, uh, Zach. So, I mean, we, we did a little research ahead of time, but I think we all have kind of our ideas uh, about this. I don't know if you two want to... Yeah, well, I mean, so basically, first, I headed on over to EvolvingHockey.com, went to the Goals Above Replacement... Well, I'm sorry. I just went to the GAR page on EvolvingHockey.com, and just over the last three years, um, if we sum the all-skaters and just add, like, a 2,000-minute time-on-ice cutoff and flip our goals above replacement to goals above average um so it's not so zero is average um the players that we get with um the who are as close to zero as possible would be let me just see this well it works um connor sheary is about there's no one who is exactly zero over the last three years it's basically connor sheary and milan lucic are the two most average skaters by our goals above uh, average goals above replacement model. So what is, I guess the other thing is what does average look like? Like where does that come in among all players or within the distribution? So that would be in this filter, there are 469 skaters who meet that time on ice cutoff. So maybe that's a little, that's a little high. That might be a little high. Um, but those players come in at 254th out of 469 skaters. So yeah. it's like right. I mean, it's right in the middle. It's yeah. a it's a standard normal distribution. So, well, summed goal, summed goals above replacement is not. It's it's a skewed distribution that's different. But um, that's basically over the last three years. And then I also looked on for the entirety of, of data that we have on the site. So from 2007 until last season, 2021, um, there are, uh, at the same time on us cut off 2000 minutes, but this is career during, since during the NHL kind of RTSS or hits tracking, um, there are six players who sum to exactly zero in their careers. Uh, most of them are, I'm going to exclude, uh, let's see, at least, four of them because they only played like three or four seasons in the early parts of that time span. But the more current ones are Danny DeKaiser, uh, Jason Garrison, and then um, let's see, who was another uh, recent one? I think Joe Corvo, who I don't know who Joe Corvo is either. Oh, we, yeah, see, I, know. I, I is, mean, I obviously know all of these. Joe Corvo played for the Bruins. Yeah, um, see, and, and he played uh, Joe Corvo and his since 2007 played 427 games. He had almost 10,000 minutes which is kind of silly that I don't know who that is. Uh, I think that's more a indication of kind of how I follow teams in the league, even though we do work 
Uh, you know, we manage a, a database that has every player who's ever played since 2007. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to remember. See, Sean Sean's got this uh, ability to to just he's got all the time to watch the games. He's a huge Bruins fan. Yeah, he watched. The, we you don't know, you know we don't watch. watch. I, well, okay, so that's a that's another mailbag question. Who is Sean a fan of? And I <laughs> did announce the other day that I am going to re up with the Toronto Maple Leafs for next season. Um, it's a it's a shame. But yes, I was I was born and I still live in Massachusetts. Yeah, and so New York people can't see, but he has a big uh, Bruins logo above his head on his I camera. Do. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a so he's he's and a I, snake and in I the also grass. Have, Leafs fans, watch I out! Have, um, from Stanley Cup final, I went to Stanley Cup final uh, game five. I sat in the press box. And I still have my lineup card that you could also see in the camera. Perhaps one day we'll we'll actually film. film yeah. These. Um, so yes, I have a lot of Bruins memorabilia in here. Actually, the rest of this whole wall here that comes off of the camera is all Bruins stuff. And yeah, then fake, fake leaves. Yeah, fake leaves fan. Yeah, really. I mean, <laughs> where's the you know? Where's the 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 loyalty? I don't know. You know, we watch We're Minnesota fans through and through for everything, which yeah. means we have been disappointed our whole lives. Yes, but um, anyway, I just was gonna. So if we go with our expected goals above uh, average model, so our XGAR, you may have heard of it. Um, doing the same sum that Josh did, so the all seasons and summing with a 2,000-minute time on ice cutoff, uh, the players who are most who are zero are Christian Fisher and, oh, man, this is a name I am going to butcher because I don't know who this player is. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. I really should have. I should have run this by. Who did he play for in what position? Let's see if I can guess. Buffalo from 07 to 13, center. Six thousand one hundred and sixty-two minutes. A center. I mean, my only guess would maybe be like that, like Derek Roy's like fall off from his like insane no. peak might it's have not, made him it's average. Not, it's not Roy. It's Hecht. Hecht Jokin. Yo yo. I don't. H e c h t is the last name. That. You, I don't know. This. I think maybe this is. I was probably too young for that. I mean, yeah, I was, like, I was not a hockey fan. Oh, mostly pre high school days for me. It's pr- it's definitely hacked. I don't know about hecked. the first name, but Buffalo fans. I'm sorry, <laughs> I'm butchering this name. But these, it's funny because these are the players that we don't. I don't ever see because they sit in the middle of our data sets, and I never because we're always looking at the outliers. We're filtering to the top or the bottom, and I'm making sure that the distributions look right. And all the players who filter into the middle, they just. I don't ever see them. So, like, I think, like, Marco Scandella was another one who was very close on a lot of, you know, I mean, over. But, oh, yeah, I, the other the other one on my list was, uh, um, it was the two of them were, uh, I think it was Danny DeKaiser and uh, who was the other one? Um, Garrison. That was the other one that, that we said off camera. I, I, I shouldn't admit this, but I guess I'll, you know, this is just, this is part of, this is part of the brand. Is, you know, Luke and I, we're we're wild fans. We're you know I we just uh, we aren't like I mean to be honest we're well I I don't know I don't know I don't remember who this person is was Jason Garrison but I think now that I've been said it a few times I do kind of remember the name but and he did play for like twenty teams no he played for six teams or five teams uh, but he also came up as zero so it's a lot of defensemen who are kind of coming out right around average. Um, at least that's recently. I mean, there were some people early on, so I, we can stop on the average thing because it's just it's just uh, revealing how Luke and I don't know anyone. Yeah, uh, <laughs> historically, maybe some of the more recent ones. Although Garrison played re- for Vegas, so it's I, I guess I should know who that is. 
And I had another, I had another question uh, that popped in. This is from May. Uh, like Sean said, was um, can you? An- it was from uh, at disciple of Bill um, on Twitter. Uh, can you answer the question regarding how you can get 0.5 of an XG? That always c- confuses me. How does a team end a game with 2.4 XG, for example? Yeah. So expected goals. Um, it's you know it's a base. Uh, it's like a base foundational aspect of a lot of what we do. Um, and what uh, the reason that it'll sum to not a discrete number, so not a one, two, three, four, five, six, um, but it'll have decimals is because it we're adding up the pro- the likelihood or probability of each shot becoming a goal. So that's going to scale from zero to one on every shot. So expected goals are not zero or one. They are a continuous uh, number between zero and one. So when you sum them all up for a team, you're going to get decimals. Um, yeah, it does look kind of funny um, if you're <laughs> if you've never seen that. If you've been working with Corsi or or um, all shot attempts or something that are counting stats, so they go zero, one, two, three, four, five. But expected goals don't do that. Um, so when you sum them all up for a skater or for a team in a game, it'll be um, with uh there'll be decimals um generally a lot of the time you know if you convert it to a percentage so like expected goals for percentage then you're not really going to see that that'll look like um you know coursey for percentage or something if you're familiar with that but that's the reason for that yeah and i think dawson had these charts back in the day and i think it was a simple monte carlo simulation but you could also figure out like the likelihood based on the shots and their expected goals of a certain number of goals being scored you're basically kind of seeing like the average there so you yeah. know if it's 2.4 you could think realistically like the far more likely than not you'd expect between two or two and three goals but there's always like these like tales of like theoretically well 10 goals could be scored and um, yeah you could view it's really a distribution that you kind of view it on like expect your goals do sort of multiply but it's actually really i think easier for for the average viewer to just think about it like that, like 2.4 expected goals, roughly two to three goals should have been expected. Those yeah, were like I, the most likely. Yeah, I think that's maybe the better way to view it. I do think it, it adds some confusion. I think people like us who've been in hockey stats for a while where XG has been kind of a known thing is the idea of adding probabilities is kind of a weird thing, I think, in general, especially within a game um, and how that like makes any sense. But it does kind of end up looking like what you would expect, like Sean said, is that you kind of just somewhere in the range is because XG is even though a lot of people, including us, will treat decimals, you know, like this. Well, very we're very, you know, on the de- decimal end, I guess, or whatever you want to call it in terms of f- kind of fine details. Most of the time, it's more of just a general how many goals do we ex- did we expect this team to score or, or a goalie to stop that kind of thing so yeah so i guess another another question coming from more of a recent mailbag question was mike murphy asked who are hockey's best twins after you and i feel like you guys are going to say the sedines but is that is that what you would go with well, yeah, I, the sedines yeah. are great i mean the sedines are like I don't. I mean, first of all, there aren't. I guess there are. Are there other? I should know this. I'm a twin. Are there? Are there other twins who played time in the NHL together? So, like, I, I was thinking, like, women's hockey, probably. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um. With and the, I am not as familiar with that. I'm at least with the names. I'm not good with. The, I there's a am. Lot of names. I am poor with it, 
and I'm just gonna get the name right in front of me because it's like it's a French name. Oh yeah. Oh the uh, 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 Lamaru. That's why right? I was like making sure that I I wasn't screwing that up that there's not other syllables. But yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes I'm correct. I, I got the name in front of me. Yes, Lamaru. Yeah. I mean, I I think I would put them over the twins just because you know the <laughs> golden goal, if you will, back yeah. in. 2018 was it and i remember that you guys stay up all night but for me it was like a different experience it was like three in the morning we had, there's like a a uh shutout and even like my yep. friends that don't watch women's hockey were, were all up watching that gold medal game which yeah. was just oh a it really was a good game yeah that was yeah. a fantastic so, game so yeah. yeah they i mean let's be honest they go all of them go above us let's be let's be honest here <laughs> Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, now that like the the Sedin twins, I think they're like special advisors or something. Didn't, didn't they end up back like in the Canucks organization? Yeah. Like I think you could outmanage them. Oh, like, I now that oh. they're not. Here's playing, the thing. Like, I'm never gonna go up against the Sedins because they're within the league. I mean, the NHL. They were some of the best players that ever played the game. Um, and also like it is. I just think there's something so unique about them going one like what were they drafted six seventh or five six wasn't it like in it was the draft like two three was it two three yeah they traded yeah. up I thought it was a little lower okay yeah, whatever Brian Burke I, like traded up and yeah the whole thing and yeah I mean I remember they made that the I guess city like, riot in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> Sean, that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about. Yeah, we're not we're not trying to piss off Vancouver yeah. fans anymore. Though. I mean, oh, we should. I mean, yeah. It'll take the heat off of the Edmonton fan base. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Which which fan base dislikes us more in Western yeah. Canada? It's, it's yeah. actually quite interesting. I feel like the, the only Canadian fan bases that, that, um, that we don't really hear from, because, I mean, they're just the biggest fan bases, right? So, so we get a lot of comments. And I think it's really Ottawa. Like, Ottawa... I think it's just because of the stage right now where they're just, like, losing, and they know yeah. that they're losing, and so you got, like, the sad sickos. So yeah. you never hear a peep from Ottawa Ottawa fans, and eventually that will happen, right? Um, yeah. Well, maybe, it's kind of like, I, I think about it with the Sabres fans, too. Like, we have, I think on Twitter, we I get along, if I just had to take a guess at which fan base in general who are, like, the nicest to us, I would think it's the Sabres fans. But that's just because, like, I think that they've they're not they've never they haven't been good for a long time, uh, and same, so it's the same thing probably with the Senators is they haven't well they were kind of good I mean they made the conference finals back a couple several years ago here when Carlson was still on but I don't know that was that was kind of a weird it was kind of a fluke yeah it was yeah. a little weird and then like team the next they, year they just yeah yeah was that like good. that was was that the year after like uh, the Andrew Hammond season no that, that was the same year. With Craig, but didn't Craig? Anderson it was the year. It was the year after, I believe, if I remember correctly. I think it was sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, or seventeen. because it was against the Penguins. Yeah. So I believe it was sixteen, seventeen. Because I, I, I remember correctly. I believe Craig Anderson was in goal. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. That's what I remember was kind of he just had a really good run. But we, you know, the Luke and I don't we don't think about sixteen seventeen because uh, the Wild lost to Jake Allen in round one when that was their year. Yeah, that, that was their that year. year. Just disappeared out of my memory. I know. So I don't know anything about. That, I just but. quit. I quit watching hockey after they lost to Jake Allen in round one, and then. But anyway, um, I will do. <laughs> uh, I have another. We're gonna move on from. We're not talking about sixteen seventeen. Well, was there more to Mike's question, or was that was that it? 
I mean, there was more. It was like three questions all in one. Oh um, yeah, was it? That about was the, the only hockey related question. So okay, okay. We'll all just, right, we'll just leave. I the... will. Uh, uh, I will move on to one that was asked from our older mailbag. That was, uh, what do you make of players who consistently underachieve compared to their XGF being expected goals for? Are they doing things that will always overrate their actual on ice impact, or are they likely to have a quote breakthrough at some point and much up uh, with and match up with their XGF? Um, and then they go on to give an example. I'm thinking specifically of a guy like Kevin LeBanc, who should, um, bolded, have a higher production, but never seems to live up to his underlying numbers. So I'm assuming when they say production, they're talking about like point totals. I think so. And I think this also goes along. We've we've talked about this a little bit, but uh, this also kind of, I think, can go along with the flip side as well of someone like Darnell Nurse, uh, who um, had a absurd. But we don't need to get into that. I don't know if we want to, but it can go both ways. So... Uh, that's the that's the one of the mailbag questions. I think one of the one of the things there is um, uh, it's it's mostly with you know again expected goals in the public from what we have. Um, we don't have pre-shot movement, so I think obviously many people know this that there is a um, uh, there's a blind spot for certain player types, right? Like players who are able to um, generate movement very quickly before a goal is scored are we we can't account for that um i mean we sometimes we can but we can't specifically account for passes so that could be something where the X, xg model is maybe missing something about that player's um play style with how they generate and and how they score points um the other thing is well i guess if it's on ice expected goals percentage uh expected goals for percentage that would be um not accounting for teammates so that would kind of be similar to point totals as well so that wouldn't be an issue um i don't know i think it is an interesting question i don't know josh if you have a, a well I, I guess i was thinking about it in, in terms of like specifically relating to our um back when we first built our um goals above replacement or war model or gar model whatever um you want to call it uh and i should probably clarify that down the line but i don't know if i won't get into that right now but is that one of the things was that when we built it one of the decisions that we had to come you know we had to deal with was whether or not we're going to use goals like actual goals as a metric in in the um in the model and that's why we now have two kind of war type models we have our standard goals above replacement and we have our expected goals above replacement and the latter doesn't use goals at all in any way um, but the former does use goals. It uses on-ice goals. Uh, well, it's much more complicated than that, but it uses a, a version of, um, uh, of, of goals for offense. And you'll see it, though, in that model where players historically, like through like thousands of minutes, I, I think in the article I actually covered this in part three that we wrote a couple years ago, um, at the time there were players like Sean Bergenheim is a classic example uh, of a player who... Um, always had very good shot metrics. His ex goal, you know, his expected goals looked good for a long stretch of time, but his the actual goal scoring or the goal generation just didn't come with that. And I think there's um, there's uh, there's this disconnect sometimes between certain players that are doing things that um, lead to good shot results or high quality or whatever, but there's something missing in terms of those being converted to goals, which is one of the reasons why we stuck with goals because i think from a value standpoint at the theoretical base of what a war model should be we want to try and measure the things that are best helping a team win like add value or and actually break it down, actually, or actually win. win so 
um, win the game, I guess. So um, I, I don't, to be honest, I, I think it's something we've been grappling with for a while, and we kind of try to use both models in terms of evaluating. Um, but I, I think it's just generally you can, it could be a mixture of luck. It could also just be something that, um, I don't know. It. I, I asked the. I found the question and asked it, and I suppose I maybe should have a better answer than this. But I, I think it can just happen where certain players, um, for whatever reason, are unable to, or they're uh, just for long stretches of times. That's just kind of what it looks like, and they, you know, it doesn't ever match up. Yeah, I mean, and I think that question oftentimes gets asked about like Brady Kachuk, because he always ends up like from a production standpoint, yeah. he always ends up at like the top of our individual expected goals um, yeah in case you like tweet those out and then it's like well brady's shooting 30 percent below expected yeah yeah <laughs> and it's just like you know like with a, a player like brady i mean i'm not sure you didn't really bring it up but sometimes there's like a scorekeeper bias as well right like brady kachuk is up in goalies faces 24 7 he's taking like shots and tight rebounds and like Sometimes you can kind of have like a phantom rebound or two, and those are um, quite yeah. high by expected goals as well. Yeah, and that and then could Brady be... Kachuk's just not as skilled as well. Yeah, and that could be it. It, it too, like I think um, player type, like you know, you said if they're consistently in close and they're kind of um, getting a lot of rebounds and a lot of shots, you know, off of rebounds, that might be something where um, for whatever reason they aren't able to score because maybe they're just shooting at a goalie that's in position, right? Like if they're just shooting consistently at a goalie that's in position, like those, we don't have goalie position to, to account for. So we don't have that in the public. So we can't factor in, you know, are they shooting at a wide open net or are they shooting at right at the goalie, right? If they're, if they're four feet away from the goalie and the goalie's right in front of them, that it, we can't account for that. Um, You know, now hopefully, I, I'm not really <laughs> holding my breath for player tracking data that would give us goalie position because that would be very difficult. I think, at least from a data engineering standpoint, to to make that public, that's a very difficult thing. Um, but if we were, if we did have that, that would be something that would be really interesting to look at. Um, and that might be another thing that could expose or or shed shine some light on why some players just consistently underperform what their expected goals what the expected goals like percentages when they're on the ice are yeah. let's just do one more question i think it's a it's a good general question uh pardon me if i'm pronouncing his name wrong because i think i noticed that he's french so i'm gonna i'm gonna french it up a little bit maybe so patrick fournier um asked what's a read to better understand analytics and stats and i think maybe particularly hockey analytics and maybe I, I think just in general hockey analytics my recommendation as always is to go to metahockey.com m-e-t-a hockey.com um, it's a phenomenal resource that kind of just compiles publications um, but I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say yeah I think that um one of the things that we did, I think, and it's been a little bit because this is kind of a uh, we obsessed over it for a while uh, in the kind of early years of us working was just trying to read as much as stu- much as we could. A lot of the time, though, it was things that we were specifically interested in was like articles. And so there's the, the thing I think that is a really good um, uh, place to start is some of if you can find I, I think some of the really great entry 
they're not too long, and they're it was Eric Tolsky's articles back when he was on. Um, uh, I think was it Broad Street Bullies? I think no, yes. he just a lot of the time he just did it for the base. But it was site. yeah, they kind of moved the sites around. I think he started writing for Broad Street Bullies. But for people who aren't familiar, Eric, Eric Tolsky's uh, um, he employee of now of uh, the Carolina Hurricanes. But um, he has he he had wrote a lot of articles for SB Nation blogs before. It, he was hired back in I think it was like 2014 2013 yeah. somewhere around there Fif- I think like 15 was like he consulted in 16 he got hired I think that's right so it was kind of in the early ten- 2010s um and I think a lot of his work is uh in a way it's 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 very um it, it's very dense like it has a lot in it but it's not done in a way that's kind of this like academic white paper type thing that you can come across with some of the work that is out there from at high, kind of higher act more academic types um and I, I think a lot of that work and and some of the best work i think and some of the really good work that was done was on aging curves in the early 2010s specifically around goalies um we wrote an aging curve article that was kind of our first big article on hockey graphs years ago um and we linked to a bunch of that stuff so i like if i, I think that's a really good way to kind of understand where the roots of hockey analytics quote-unquote or statistical work came from um i think there's also uh a lot of like i not to specifically try to point people to our site but i guess that's kind of the you know that that is <laughs> it is our podcast so i suppose that we can do that but um in our glossary on our website uh uh, on evolving hockey there's a lot of we have a lot of and our glossary and our references have a lot of links to articles um i think that for some people the there's some primer work that was done out there like um uh uh is it jen um what was yeah i was gonna say yeah. uh jen lc one of the first articles that kind of helped me get into like how um the foundational you know um advanced stats work was uh gen lc on second city hockey which is the sb nation site for the uh, blackhawks um which is stats made simple and it's part one corsi and fenwick and i think there's a couple parts but the first two articles of that are really good introductions to how we think about um in general like if you've heard corsi four percentage like what is that why do we look at that? And a lot of those principles of Corsi four percentage and stuff like, and 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 also those what you what what we call on ice metrics. So it's what happens when a team or a skater individually is on the ice. That's a really foundational aspect that was worked on in kind of one of the bedrocks of how a lot of people think about hockey statistics. Um, and I'll jump in and say another primer article charlie o'connor for the athletic uh wrote a series i think it was maybe two or three and it was a little bit more recent it was um more a little bit more in depth but his primers on the athletic and i think they were free i don't know if they still are now i think they might still be free um but also those are also really good kind of more updated primers as well uh that kind of address that stuff too yeah and i think he covers some of um some of Micah's stats on uh, hockey biz, and then also um, a lot of the metrics we have on evolving hockey. So regularized adjusted plus minus and goals above replacement and relative to teammates stats and stuff like that is covered in that, which is, um, it's kind of like the stages of, I guess, advancement. <laughs> you know, if you're <laughs> leveling up in uh, understanding hockey statistics, it kind of goes in that order, which is very nice. Um, we've also been meaning to do a, a series on Kind of like, I mean, Stats Made Simple is a really good uh, <laughs> um, kind of article series name, but something along those lines of maybe doing a goals above replacement sim- simplified um, because our, our war write-up is very long and we've known this. Uh, we have a ton of references and everything, and it's a, it's kind of a slog to get through. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> no, so we, we would like to... Um, 
update or write some like you know simpler explanations so that's something we're planning to do probably um sometime in the next few months when we have time we're busy getting prepared for next season with a lot of data work and stuff like that right now but hopefully we'll have some more um primers and things up that will make it easier for people who are just getting into this stuff to kind of understand what's going on with our website because we we know it's very there's a lot of things there and it can you know be a little intimidating if you're just starting out so we're we we understand we know that and we would like to (laughs) make it uh make it better it's just it was going to take some time probably (laughs) well time is on on your side now it is yes (laughs) until the season starts and then it's a it's an every night affair Yep. Um, so I think with that, uh, we'll end it here for this episode zero. I'm going to be a Python bro today. <laughs> episode zero. Um, so thank you for listening. We appreciate your feedback. Josh and Luke, thank you for speaking with us and hopefully giving people, people a, uh, a better insight. Plus, you guys have the same twitter account so people don't yeah. get to see you hear you split out uh yeah very often hopefully they can tell your voices apart yeah um, I, uh, I think without the video i'd be struggling here but yeah i apologize we, we try to not talk over each other when we're on these things if we do do them together but uh i will say if you anyone has any follow-up questions or anything i mean we're so just a little bit of a uh we're hoping to try to keep to do this weekly um i we aren't we're still kind of working on getting the structure right and maybe, you know, a couple more segments, maybe some guests. But um, in the meantime, if you have any questions, feel free. Um, Luke and I are at Evolving Wild on Twitter. Our DMs are open. Um, at Evolving Hockey, which is the account that Sean manages, um, also has open DMs. Um, through our website, you can contact us as well. We're happy to answer any questions or give you any more information about the site or um, just anything maybe you heard here. If you have follow-up questions, we'd be happy to, to answer those those as well. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, Yeah. looking forward to it. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.